Welcome to the weekly Comic Web Old Time Radio Program podcast. We sell old time radio programs, Golden Age comics in PDF format, and we have other free podcasts. Visit comicweb.com for more information or find us on Facebook and iTunes. This week our podcast features an episode of Rocky Jordan called A Man in the Morgue. The episode originally aired on November 21st, 1948. Time now for Rocky Jordan. It's not that I ever objected to publicity about me or my cafe tambourine appearing in the Cairo newspapers, but this particular item I didn't like. It said, Captain Sam Sabaya of the Cairo police announced today that the body found floating in the Nile last night has definitely been identified as that of the local cafe owner, Rocky Jordan. Well, the news came as something of a shock. <laughs> Again, we bring you a story of adventure with a man named Rocky Jordan, proprietor of the Cafe Tambourine, which stands in a narrow street off Cairo's native quarter within sight of the mosque Sultan Hassan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men from the world's waterfronts, alive with the babble of many languages. Now, Rocky Jordan and tonight's story, The Man in the Morgue. I was comfortably planted at a back table in my cafe tambourine, reading the afternoon paper, when I happened onto that item announcing the death of Rocky Jordan. My chair almost went over backwards. As soon as I could stagger to my feet, I got to a phone. I was certain that Captain Sam Sabaya knew as well as I did that the news of my death, and I quote, had been greatly exaggerated. Sam wasn't at headquarters, so I headed for the morgue faster than a relative going after a will. And I didn't stop for flowers. And there, seated calmly beside an occupied marble slab, was Sabaya himself. His face registered mild surprise and no signs of grief. Well, Jordan, you look very natural. I'm not laughing, Sam. I appreciate your respect for the dead. Incidentally, I had hardly hoped for the chance to question you. Why not get a Ouija board and commune with me in the spirit world, huh? Come on, Sam, what's the gag? There is no gag. Your body was found floating in the Nile River. The coroner reports death by persons unknown. You were murdered, John. Okay, so I've been murdered. There's only one slight catch in your theory, Sam. I never felt better. One moment, George. Take a look at these. What about them? An American passport, a birth certificate, both wet. Made that for Rocky George. Yeah. Well, what have you to say about this? Plenty. They're my papers and they belong in the American consulate. And unless you get a search warrant, I'm Calm gonna... yourself, George, and I did not take your papers from the American consulate. They were on the man found in the Nile River last night. Now are you convinced that you are dead? All right, so he stole my papers and was murdered. That still doesn't explain how you decided it was me. You will see for yourself, Jordan. Oh, let's stop this routine, Sam. Now, perhaps you understand. <sighs> Begin to see what you mean. About my build, height, weight, same color hair. And Jordan, observe that the face is no longer recognizable. So that just wraps it all up, huh, Sam? Now you see why this man is Rocky Jordan. Okay, so I'm dead and murdered. My papers have been stolen from the consulate. Well, thanks for finding my body, Sam. Jordan, I agree that this is no joking matter. Good. Note the wire tied about the feet of the corpse. His body was never intended to be discovered. 
It's pretty thin wire. Indeed. And so it broke here. Thus, the body was probably tied to a weight. When the wire broke, the body floated to the surface. Sam, somebody plants phony papers on the guy, then buries the body in the Nile so it won't be found. What kind of sense is that? That is what I want you to tell me about. Oh, I know. Stealing passports from the American consulate is not an easy task. I therefore assume you took your own papers. This, of course, is, is legitimate. Tell me what you did after that. Sam, the first thing I knew about this was in the afternoon news. Jordan, please get to the point. There isn't any point. I had nothing to do with it. Very well, Jordan. We will wait until you decide to cooperate. In the meantime... In the meantime, how about letting me have my papers back? I'm uh, kind of particular who turns up dead with them. Very well, Jordan. Thanks, Sam. See you later. Uh, Jordan, on your way out, please do something for me. Yes, Sam. Stop by the florist and cancel the wreath I ordered for your funeral. I came up out of the morgue and breathed some fresh carol air. The American consulate was within walking distance, and there was a matter of missing papers that needed explaining. When I reached the consulate, it was locked tighter than a saloon on election day. I rapped in the glass door, but no answer. Peering in, I caught a fleeting glimpse of a face from the inner office, like the face of a terror-stricken child. It disappeared, so I knocked again. Just as I was about to wear out my knuckles, the face reappeared, and what went with it wasn't bad. Dusty yellow hair braided into loops that wrapped around her head. Her mouth was small and trembled into a smile. She raised her eyes to mine. They were not the eyes of a child. Finally, she opened the door, just a crack. I am sorry. The consulate is closed. Please come back tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow may be too late, lady. This will only take a minute. But but everyone has gone home for the evening. You're still here. I do not count. I am only the consul secretary. Look, lady, uh, there have been some peculiar operations going on with my papers, and I want to straighten it out. Your your name, please? Jordan. Rocky Jordan. Rocky Jordan. I am sorry. The consulate is closed. Please return in the morning. Oh, sure. But in the morning, I may be dead again. Dead? Again? Look, Miss... Um... Well... Laurie Ralston, please, what is this about being dead in the morning again? Maybe if I could have a look at my files, I could explain it a little better. Well, Mr. Disney would never permit it, but come in, please. I will get your folder. Are you planning to leave Cairo? Is this why you wish to see your papers? Yeah, maybe. You could go to America if you wished. <laughs> Before the war, my father and I dreamed of America. What? Well, war's over. Maybe you'll have better luck now. No. I've been in Cairo three years, Mr. Jordan. There are many of us, and quota numbers are few. Only you Americans can afford to be impatient. Ah, here are the files. Now, let me see. Jenkins, Johnson, Jopner, Judson. Hmm. Go on, huh? Why, ah, here we are. What? You mean you found them? Of course. A little out of place is all. Uh, yeah, everything's here. You act as though you didn't expect me to find them. Maybe I didn't. Better keep a padlock on those files. Next time, somebody might drop a death certificate inside. I beg your pardon. Uh, see you later. I left the consulate twice as confused as when I went in. That made two sets of passport papers. One in the consulate, one found in the body of the man floating in the Nile. Both identical and in my name. I was halfway down the steps when I saw a tall Atlas-type guy in a pink robe that hung to his ankles turn and drift around the corner. I walked the other way, but about halfway down the block, I stopped to think. 
It occurred to me that Laurie Rothens had made it just a little too convenient for me to get into the consulate after hours. Uh, I wouldn't hurt to check on her. I waited, and she came out a few minutes later. I shadowed her down the Shariah Kamal and finally saw her stop in front of a faded five-story sandstone building that passed itself off as the Hotel Lydia. It catered to the uprooted of the world, that 25 fiestas a day. It was filled with people waiting for a quota number, or people just waiting. Lori glanced back, and I dodged into the alley, and then he caught me. It was an arm that reached out first, followed by the tall Atlas-type guy in a pink nightshirt. His big hands reached for my throat. You! Go, I kill! Max, slow down! Dirty pig! You follow her! You follow my lovely Lori, my sweetheart! What's the bigger... Okay, you ask for this. What is this? You hit me? Have you no sense, pig? You can get hurt this way. Then we'll start all over again. You fool! You have struck the prince twice. This is an insult. So now I will make you suffer. Come back here. I will choose my own time to kill you. Later. Yes, later I will kill you. The tall man walked back to the street, stopped under a street light, shook his pink robe arrogantly, and strode off into the night. I stood under the street light, pondering whether or not to follow him when I saw a pink car lying on the sidewalk where it had fallen from his robe. I picked it up. It said... Pharaoh's Jive Palace. I had the night off anyway, and maybe I could find some answers there. I headed down the street. The place was under two rug shops and what passed for a native drugstore. I took the stairs down into the basement. A glaring pink sign over a pink door shouted Pharaoh's Jive Palace. I went in. Maybe it was too early for the Jive crowd because the place was almost empty. In one corner of the smoke-filled room sat a small oriental version of Frank Sinatra laboring over a tobacco-stained keyboard. He was about 19 with black eyes, olive skin, and a white turban tilted rakishly on his head. Modern Egyptian, gone jive-happy. I drifted over to him. <laughs> you like it, huh? Really solid, man. Like a rock. Listen, uh... You know an overgrown fellow who goes around in a pink nightgown? Sure, sure. That's Hakeem, the doorman here. Well, then maybe you can answer a few questions for me. Oh, sure thing, Jack. Everything from Beidelbeck to Boogie. Piano's only a sideline. I'm really a songwriter. Name is Elhad Bey. But everybody calls me Moonlight. Moonlight Bay. Get it? Yeah, I'm trying not to. I've written lots of stuff. Till the Nile runs dry, baby. That's my tune. Also, the camel hump jump. My latest, Sahara Sioux. Real gone. I guess I don't listen to much music. Oh, well, you wouldn't have heard these anyway. Nobody to publish them. All these guys want to listen to is... Twang, 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 twang. Hey, what part of this state are you from, Jack? Oh, St. Louis. A little of everywhere. No kidding. Say, what's your handle anyway? Rocky Jordan. Rocky Jordan. Look, Jack. Last night I'm sitting here when in comes this guy. Looks a little like you, same size. Starts talking to me. And what do you think his name was? Don't guess, I'll tell you. Rocky Jordan. Hey, go on. What did he talk about? He wants me to run an errand for him. Take some stuff over to the radio station. Says if I will, he'll give me some old Benny Goodman records. Tells me to meet him at midnight at his hotel. Which hotel? The Lydia, room 309. So like a chump, I do it. You think he shows up? He does not. I sit there till four in the morning, some jerk. I hope he drops dead. Room 309, huh? Is uh, that all? He tell you anything else? Oh, he, he, no. Well, 
Thanks for the info, Moonlight. I'll be running along. Oh, hey, stick around. The band's coming in. Don't you want to hit him? Sure, but not now. If you meet any more Rocky Jordans, let me know, will you? Oh, uh, drop by the cafe tambourine sometime. I'll donate a record. Helen Morgan, St. Louis Blues. At least one item was beginning to make sense. The Hotel Lydia. I hailed a taxi and we fought the evening traffic out of the native quarter. In 15 minutes, I was back at the Hotel Lydia. Just as the cab pulled away, I saw the tall shadow. He looked like he was holding up the building across the street. He and his pink robe again moved out of sight. Then, as I turned back toward the door of the hotel, I saw her. Why, Mr. Jordan, I didn't expect to see you so soon again. Hello, Miss Robbins. Who's your friend? Of course. This is Mr. Disney. He also works at the council. Mr. Disney, Rocky Jordan. Rocky Jordan? Don't tell me you've got an uncle named Rocky Jordan. I, uh, I don't think I've ever heard the name before. Hey, Disney, you seem pretty upset. What's the matter? Mr. Disney suffers from a nervous illness. The war. It, it has a long name. I do not know it. Oh, that's too bad. Uh, Mr. Jordan, we were just going out to dinner. Will you join us? Oh, sorry. I've got to see a man about a room. Here? In the hotel Lydia? Why not? Oh, well, nothing. I'm sure you'll like living here, Mr. Jordan. Very much. Lawyer Rothens drifted on up the street with Disney walking nervously alongside her. Maybe the doctors had a long name for what was wrong with them. I had a short one. Right. I went into the lobby and over to the main desk. Behind it sat a clerk, his nose buried in a magnifying glass over a piece of dusty parchment. I took a chance he wouldn't know one American voice from another without a program. I asked him for the key to room 309. He tossed it on the counter without looking up, and I headed for the elevator. I pushed the button, mark three. It started with a bounce. Stopped. Started again. And the sliding door opened on the fifth floor. I closed the door, pushed button three again, and hoped for better luck the next landing. Finally, a grounder was stopped at the third floor. The room 309 was halfway down the hall. I unlocked the door stepped in. The ashtray beside the bed was filled with the butts of yellowish Egyptian cigarettes. On a table in the corner of the room sat an American phonograph recorder gadget. On a chair next to it was a small suitcase affair. I opened it and saw it was more recording equipment, only this was a portable outfit. I shuffled through a pile of records on the table. The third one down had no label. I'm a curious guy, so I put it on the turntable and flipped the switch. Hello, America. This is Bill Booth reporting to you from Cairo. I've come here on the trail of one of the biggest international rackets of modern times. Although the story is yet incomplete, I have learned enough to make both Cairo and New York sit up and take notice. I was reaching over to turn up the volume when it happened. My head made a sound like a sack of cement hit with a baseball bat. Before I closed my eyes, somewhere through the haze, I saw a tilted white turban above a frightened face. The face belonged to Moonlight Bay. Rocky Jordan returns in just a moment. This coming Thursday is Thanksgiving. Be certain that for you and yours it will be a day of real Thanksgiving and not one of sorrow due to careless driving. Take it easy. Drive carefully. Obey traffic signals and regulations. It may take a minute or so longer, but you'll be there to enjoy the turkey and the trimmings. Now, back to Rocky Jordan and tonight's story. 
The Man in the Morgue. I pulled myself to my feet and looked around the dingy hotel room. I sat down on the bed to think. It all started with a corpse with my passport, then a girl secretary and the consulate with a perfect set of duplicates. From then on, everybody began to react to Rocky Jordan like poison. A tall man in a pink robe, a jive-crazy songwriter named Moonlight Bay, a nervous consulate official named Tom Disney, and finally a reporter named Bill Booth, whose voice I'd been listening to on a record. I wondered how Moonlight Bay and the man in the pink robe fitted into the picture. Then I got an idea and headed for the door. Oh! Why, Mr. Jordan. Laurie Rothens. I thought you and Disney were going to dinner. Why, yes. I forgot my purse. My room is right next door. Oh, but you have been hurt. Have I? Mr. Jordan, could I talk to you privately? Yeah, go ahead. I'm listening, lady. Come into my room. Well? The man who had the room next door. I know who he was. Oh, great. That makes two of us. His name was Bill Booth. He was a reporter. Unless I miss my guess, it was his body that the police fished out of the Nile. But how do you know these things? I try to keep my ears open most of the time. I know why Bill Booth was here. Because he was too good a reporter, that right? Yes. You see, Mr. Booth came here to expose a powerful ring who had been smuggling aliens into the United States at a very high price. The scheme was almost perfect, for the immigration officials had never discovered it. Simple trick with duplicate papers, maybe, Yes. Huh? Excellent copies were obtained from the original papers belonging to Americans in Cairo, who had no reason to need their own passport. So the aliens travel as citizens. Tell me, uh, where do you fit into this? When the American consulate learned of Mr. Booth's discovery, they asked me to assist him in every way. I introduced him to various people as an American who wished to return to his country, but could not, legally. Working him from the inside, huh? Together we learned everything, except... Who was the brains behind the scheme? You uh, don't know who killed Booth? I think I do know. It was Prince Hawking. Come again? The prince in pink. That's what he calls himself. Of course, he is not a real prince. Only the doorman at Pharaoh's Jive Palace. You seem to know a lot, sister. Mr. Jordan, Tom Disney is my husband. He is a sick man. He tried to work with Mr. Booth and I, but he could not. We had established the headquarters of this gang as the Jive Palace. Tom was to go there, but... It was too much for him, huh? He was such a strong man when I first knew him. But now, my husband is a coward. You mean he gave up the chase? If this gang killed Bill Booth, they will kill us next. As you said, we know too much. Mr. Jordan, can you help us? Well, what's wrong with the police? They have telephones, you know. No. The consulate has told us to have positive proof before we go to the police. We must be most cautious. Look, Laurie, uh, suppose you and your husband lay low for a while. Somebody planted me in the middle of this. Rocky, you are going to help us. Laurie, tell your husband he won't have to worry much longer. See you later. Now, for the first time in a long series of blind alleys, things were beginning to make sense. I headed back for Pharaoh's Jive Palace on the double. I figured some of the final answers were there. But standing outside the door when I arrived was one more obstacle, which made me slightly over par for the course. Jordan, what do you come here for? Go away! Yeah, the prince in pink. Look, Hakeem, I don't want to play. Jordan, how often must I warn you? 
Well, I suppose I have to kill you now. Oh, why don't you come off it, Hakim? I got some questions I think you can answer. Second grade stuff. Jordan, now you insult my intelligence. This is too much. I know like Get you. Get your paws off my collar, Hakim. Ha! Maybe you hit me again? It might take me all night to carve you down to my size, but I'm in a hurry. Listen, about Lori Rothen. I warn you to stay away from my love. I am upset now. You go. Go! The prince in pink towered before the pink door under the pink sign. My fist was already sore from hitting him the first two times, so I took another tack. I walked around the building and up the back alley. There was a small window that sent a shaft of light out into the darkness. It was open. I didn't wait around for an invitation. I let myself down through it and landed on a plush couch. The room wasn't as well lit as I thought, but over in the corner I saw one of the things I was looking for. His white turban was pushed back off his face and his eyes lolled toward the ceiling. He was listening to a piano that sent notes all over the room. The man in the turban was my ex-friend, Moonlight Bay. Hello, friend. Beat it, Jack. Oh, Rocky. Rocky Jordan. Moonlight, you and I have some things to chat about. Now take it easy. Rocky boy. Wait till my man finishes his lick. Well, this is short wave right from the States. He sends me. No more licks. Especially like that one you gave me across the head. I didn't mean to do it. Honest, Rock. It's like this. When I read this other Rocky Jordan was dead, I remember. He's promised me those Goodman records. I just couldn't see them get shipped back to the States, so I... Oh, you broke into his hotel room. Sure. Then you came in. I hid in the closet. I got scared. I was afraid you'd find me. So you slip up behind me and let me have it. Rock, don't turn me into the cops. Give me a break, huh? That depends on you, kid. Anything you say, Mr. Jordan. First, tell me about that character outside. The one who calls himself a prince in pink. Oh, him... Oh, the big dope, he's okay. But at least he was, till he met that dame. What dame? I don't know her name. She used to come in here all the time. Looks like a kid. Blonde hair, done up in braids. Gee, she's got the prince jumping through hoops. But look, Rock, you mind if I turn the radio back on? I gotta get back with the band in a minute. I want to hear this boy. So ends an interlude oh, of piano music, man which replaced the usual playing. broadcast Shut of up. Bill Booth and his up-to-the-minute news analysis. We repeat... Our studio in Cairo informs us that the wire recording of tonight's broadcast has not been received. Mr. Booth has engaged in extensive research in the Middle East. Until tomorrow night, this is the Columbus. Moonlight started dialing for movie music, and I went out the way I came in. It took me ten minutes to reach the Cairo morgue, and another five minutes to talk the sergeant into letting me into the place. I got to the corpse of Bill Booth, but the autopsy boys beat me to it. What I was looking for was no longer there. Then I got another bright idea. It was a long shot, but the kind you bet on in spite of the odds. Booth's clothing was neatly piled on a little table by the sink. Sure enough, there it was. Under a corner of the water-soaked coat. Neatly wound and marked Exhibit D. The long shot paid off on the nose. It was a coil of thin wire. A wire that had been wrapped around Bill Booth's ankle. It looked strong enough to tie a man with and bury his body in the Nile. But it wasn't. It was shiny and brittle, the kind of stuff you'd use only if you were in a hurry. Maybe it wasn't very strong for some purposes, but it might be strong enough to hang a man. Rocky Jordan brings you the ending of tonight's story in just a matter of seconds. If you enjoy adventure, mystery, and excitement, then reserve Sunday nights for CBS. For not only will you hear Rocky Jordan at this same time, But you will enjoy Dashiell Hammett's famous detective, Sam Spade, 
and The Whistler. But it's time now for Rocky Jordan with the ending of tonight's story. I felt sure now that the strand of wire found wrapped around the ankles of Bill Booth held the identity of his murderer. I grabbed a taxi and headed for the Hotel Lydia. When we pulled up in front of the battered building, I didn't wait for my change. The key to room 309 was still in my pocket. I decided against another excursion on the temperamental elevator and took the stairs three at a time. I opened the door and stepped inside. A little suitcase still sat on the chair. It contained the portable wire recorder on which Bill Booth had transcribed his broadcasts from the United States. I opened the recorder, took the strand of wire from my pocket, wrapped it on the spool, and put the spool in place. I plugged in the machine to a wall socket and turned it on. Lawful S. Bruce, I give it Sierra, no Might have known I'd get it on backwards first. I reversed the strand of wire and again turned on the machine. And so tonight, I believe I can finally reveal the full details of this scheme. For tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I have a date with the ringleader of the group. The amazing part of it is that they themselves have led me to this person. And here is the biggest surprise of all. Turn it off, Jordan. For at this time, I say turn it I off. I am able to give... The door was open. Coming toward me was a little girl with braided blonde hair, a gun in her hand. Just behind Laurie Rothen stood her husband, Tom Disney. I realize this is very dramatic of me, Jordan, but give me the wife. Sure. Doesn't matter. There was nothing on it I didn't already know. Booth had to be eliminated. Laurie, you're telling too much. Maybe he doesn't know. Too late for that, Disney. My story's as pat as a full house. We're holding four aces, Jordan. The deuce is on wild, lady. Booth had all the answers to the slickest little immigration racket in the Middle East. You killed him. One mistake, Jordan. I did not kill Bill Booth. My stupid husband did it. But, but you, you made me. Your own stupid jealousy made you, and you bungled the job at that. But how was I to know he was he was the one with Jordan's papers? It was your job to know, and only a blundering idiot would have used the wire. Look, the family quarrel is very touching. One point I missed. How does Hakim fit into this? Another one of her boyfriends. She wrapped them about her fingers like twine. Sometimes strong men come in handy. Let's get down to business. We will make sure, Jordan, that your body will not be found. So I'm following in Booth's footsteps? Immediately. The Nile will swallow any traces of Rocky Jordan. I never argue with a lady with a gun. She directed me down the hall to the ancient elevator. Her husband, Tom Disney, fluttered nervously behind us. The door slid open and we stepped inside. She nodded to me and I punched the button marked basement. Almost jerked out from under our feet, but the gun in Laurie Rothen's hands didn't waver. Then things began to happen like I hoped they would. The elevator bounced twice, settled, bounced once more, and came to a stop. The door slid open. The temperamental elevator had done it again. We had landed in the lobby. And there, framing the doorway, stood Hakim, the prince in pink. But what made the picture complete? Standing slightly behind him, flanked by two of his men, was Captain Sam Sabaya. Cairo Police. Jordan! The one thing you can say for Sam Sabaya, he knows a grand entrance when he sees one. It seems Sam's leading suspect had been Hakim, so he followed Hakim when Hakim followed me, which led them both to the Lydia Hotel and Laurie Robbins. Well, Sam is happy. He got three new customers for the Cairo jail. 
Moonlight Bay is happy. He came by my cafe the next day and collected his record of St. Louis blues. For an hour, he converted the cafe tambourine into a bedlam of jive. Now I'm happy, because he's gone. <laughs> Real gone. Jordan is presented from Columbia Square in Hollywood and stars Jack Moyles in the title role. Tonight's story by Robert Libet was produced and directed by Cliff Powell with original music by Milton Charles. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Rocky Jordan was a radio series about an American restaurateur in Cairo who each week became involved in some kind of mystery or adventure. The show was broadcast on CBS from October 1948 to September of 1950, and then again from June to August in 1951. The character of Rocky Jordan had been introduced to listeners in a similar show called A Man Named Jordan that was broadcast in 1945, but set in Istanbul rather than Cairo. The two lead roles were those of Rocky Jordan and Captain Sam Sabaya of the Cairo Police. For most of the show's history, Jordan was played by veteran radio actor Jack Moyles, but he was replaced by movie star George, Ra George Raft for the brief 1951 run. Jay Novello played Sabaya throughout the entire series. Other roles were played by members of Hollywood's Radio Row, and the announcer was Larry Thor. Rocky Jordan is the proprietor of Cafe Tambourine located in Cairo, though he is originally from St. Louis. As an American restaurateur in a North African country, Jordan is somewhat similar to Rick Blaine's character in the film Casablanca. The announcer describes it as being crowded with forgotten men and alive with a babble of many languages. Each episode sees Jordan confronted with a crime, a mystery, a beautiful woman, or a combination of the three. Precisely why Jordan is in Egypt is left deliberately vague, though he apparently has enemies in St. Louis so he can't go back home. Sam Sabaya is the police captain who apprehends the criminals at the end of each adventure. Sabaya is portrayed as a diligent and competent policeman, usually as Jordan's friend and ally, but sometimes as his foil. He is an Egyptian Muslim, is married, and has four children. Two further characters appear in some but not all episodes, Chris and Sergeant Greco, Chris is the bartender at Cafe Tambourine, while Greco is Sabaya's underling. Greco has a particular dislike of Jordan and is invariably trying to make his life difficult, often by arresting him as the chief suspect in whatever crime Jordan is trying to solve. He's also ambitious and eager for promotion. The show has a deliberately eastern feel through careful use of music and sound effects, and the writers Larry Roman and Gomar Kuhl took care that the characters used the names of real streets in Cairo. Much of the information the, the writers used for this came from a book called The Pocket Guide to Egypt that the U.S. Army had produced for servicemen sent there during the war. The oriental-sounding music composed for the show by Richard Arund is considered to be of exceptional quality. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week.